glow in the dark stars. Oh, did you? Yes, as I often do. And as I often do, I have not yet put them up. Are you gonna just put them on the ceiling or just like around? I think on the ceiling mostly. I mean, I should probably put other things on the walls. The only one I've put up is I made like that paper Christmas tree that I showed you on my wall and then I put a star at the top of that only it's not exposed to that much light so it doesn't really glow which is kind of sad for me. Also I should take it down because it's now mid-January. So are you like I am resigned to like living here for a while I must like put up some decor after like three years. I'm not resigned. I mean, I I think it's just, you know, with me, the constant sort of like, well, I should probably decorate. And then several months go by and I'm like, well, I should probably decorate. And before you know that I've lived here for almost three years. Yes, I must tell listeners that Kat has lived in this apartment for, yes, almost three years. There is nothing on the walls. Uh, yep. There's other stuff I unpacked. There is a smattering of furniture. There's a normal amount of furniture. But again, very blank walls. I have things. They're in frames. I just haven't hung them. Yes, they are even framed things that she has not put up. <laughs> Let's talk about two weeks notice. Welcome to Romcomathon. I'm Alex. And I'm Kat. And today we're talking about two weeks notice. Yeah, welcome to 2020, you guys. Oh yeah, this is the first one of, well, it's not the first one of the year, but the other one we recorded in December, so. Yeah, so it's the first one we're recording in the new year and hopefully this year is better than last year although i don't know we started off with the imminent threat of world war three so who knows uh yeah we have many months to get through and i don't feel hopeful but i look forward to phone banking this weekend so yeah so we watched two weeks notice as per our twitter poll yeah, I remembered that we had enjoyed it when we watched it for the blog, though that was a while ago. Yes, I said, I said like in my notes, like, I love this movie and I'm excited to rewatch it, um, except for the Donald Trump cameo, which we hated at the time, but now like brings me like almost physical pain. I have to tell you that I actually fast forwarded once he appeared on screen to until he was gone. <laughs> yep, I wrote like... His appearance was, like, fine in 2002, traumatic in 2016 when we watched it last, and very traumatic now. Yeah, so I can no longer enjoy any films from the 90s that he has, like, cameoed in. Oh my god, Over Christmas, Home Alone was on. I'm sorry. In the background, like, at my parents, and I was like, I can't do it. Oh, maybe it's the second Home Alone, the one in New York, yes, of course. Yes, it's Home Alone too. yeah. Anyway, so I reread our blog post before we watched, before I watched, and I was like, boy, we really trashed Sandra Bullock's wardrobe. And then a couple of minutes into the film, I was like, I see why we did that. Yes, she dresses like, I mean, was she was supposed to be unfashionable, though. Like, she was supposed to be unfashionable even for, like, 2002, right? Yes, it was like, I am a hippie and I will demonstrate this by wearing a carpet. Yeah. <laughs> and... But here, I feel that our great oversight in our blog entry was that we failed to talk about how ugly her wallpaper is. Oh my god, yes, her wallpaper is hideous and would have given me a headache if I lived there. But but I think like it was like both the wallpaper in her apartment and the wallpaper at her parents' apartment? Correct. To the point, like, they were equally ugly to the point that I was like, wait, she's at her parents now? Maybe the wallpaper that I denigrated earlier in my notes was actually her parents' wallpaper, in which case it's more understandable. And then I had to go back and look, and I was like, JK, both kitchens are hideous. I had, like, moments where those kitchens were so 
ugly to me, like both of them, that I forgot which one was which. Like I forgot Sandra Bullock had her own apartment at the beginning of this movie. I can't recall exactly, but I think her parents' wallpaper might actually have been a little bit less offensive than hers. But I don't know if that was just context because you know it's a parent's house. Yeah, maybe. Anyway, do you want to summarize the film before we get further in? I would love to. Actually, I would like to read the plot summary that we wrote last time because I think it's pretty similar to the one that I drafted the other day. Okay. Sandra Bullock is a liberal activist lawyer who dresses poorly and seems to primarily work to preserve old buildings while somehow also holding down a job at legal aid. Hugh Grant, as usual, is a wealthy, bumbling cat about town. Their paths cross when his corporation wants to knock down yet another community building to build a giant skyscraper. In the course of petitioning him to change the corporation's mind, Sandra Bullock inadvertently finds herself being hired as his chief counsel. Cue the passage of time over which we see Hugh Grant and Sandra Bullock grow close. Too close, in fact. Weirdly close. He becomes dependent on her to pick out his outfits, envelopes, mattress, you know, all those normal things that people use a lawyer for. He calls her at all hours of the night because he just felt like a chat and is unable to grasp what does and does not constitute a legitimate emergency. The last straw for Sandra Bullock comes when she ditches her best friend's wedding to rush to his side only to discover he just wanted her opinion on a suit. Enraged, she gives her two weeks notice. And here I'd like to insert a sidebar, which is that I was surprised in rewatching how early in the movie she quits. Like it's like a third of the way in. I thought it was much later in the film. Yeah, me too. I thought their like montage of them like hanging out doing stuff together was like much longer, but they just, I think the film just did a good job like establishing that relationship. Yeah. Like I feel like we both had a memory that there was like a relationship built between them. And I was like, she quits her job like 20 minutes in. I mean, I guess it is the premise of the film. So yes. Anyway, Hugh Grant, devastated at the possibility of losing his best friend slash wife slash lawyer slash assistant, obviously does not want Sandra Bullock to go. Some shenanigans ensue, but ultimately they agree that she can train a replacement and leave. Unfortunately, Hugh Grant's penchant for hiring only beautiful women results in the arrival of Alicia Witt, a leggy redheaded Harvard graduate who just happens to deeply admire them both. Perfect, right? Not so much for Sandra Bullock. She is not psyched. Not psyched at all. For a moment, it almost seems like sad Hugh Grant and jealous Sandra Bullock might confess their feelings. However, then Sandra Bullock finds out that her beloved Coney Island Community Center, the main reason she originally took the job with Hugh Grant, is back on the chopping block since she quit. Infuriated, she goes to lambast? 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 She goes to confront him about it, only to discover him playing strip chess with Alicia Witt. Classy guys, very intellectual. Sandra Bullock leaves Hugh Grant forever and goes back to work at Legal Aid. So, naturally, Hugh Grant shows up at Legal Aid to win her back. He gives a characteristically charming and heartfelt speech, including the news that A, the community center is being saved after all, and B, he didn't sleep with Alicia Witt. She initially rejects him, but then they make out. The movie is surprisingly feelingsful. We had a lot of feelings. Upon rewatch, I don't know if I had as many feelings, but I definitely still had some feelings. I still enjoyed it. Like, I think it holds up as a quality rom-com that did a good job developing character and developing a relationship and was genuinely funny. Yes. The really great thing about this film is that there were a lot of good lines. Like, even, like, I literally, so when people were writing in asking us to do this or, like, casting their vote or whatever, some people were like, Hugh Grant is the worst. And I was like, you know, he is. And yet, like, what is it about Hugh Grant that makes his unbearable behavior, like, somewhat bearable and sometimes charming? Yes, he's so, he's so charming in this. But at the same time, you're like, she is doing so much emotional labor and straight up labor. (laughs) It's like, appallingly, I feel some tenderness as he's all like, I can't make any of my decisions anymore since I met you. And you're like, that's a problem, though. 
Yeah, it's no, not that, good. It's not. It's not a good quality. You don't want that in a person. Also, like rereading our plot summary from the blog, I was like, oh man, I had forgotten that she's a lawyer. Yeah, she's not his assistant. She is actually an attorney. <laughs> oh man. Um. Yeah, so I reread it being like, maybe, or rather, I rewatched it thinking like, maybe I will try to approach this with a more critical lens. And nonetheless, I was like, he's still charming. He has a lot of really good lines. No, he definitely, I mean, he always does. I, again, I was like, you could feel for her, like, you know, 2020 version of me was obviously like, don't, you're doing so much like unpaid labor for this man. Although I'm sure he compensates you very handsomely. You now have a massive Manhattan apartment, but you're still being called at all hours of the night. No one should be like leaving their best friend's wedding to go to a work emergency. Like, you know, all these things add up. 2020 me was like, I'm infuriated for you. But then I was also like, but he's so cute. I mean, I think, I don't know how they do it, but like their dynamic does not feel skeevy. I mean, Hugh Grant definitely is skeevy. In the plot summary that I wrote that I didn't do, I was being like, oh no, it is not good that he is just hiring like leggy lawyers with no real credentials. No, it's it seems to be a bad business practice. And very troubling that he sleeps with all of his chief counsel. Yes, they deeply need an HR department. <laughs> I was like, this this is very bad. It's not good at all. We shouldn't just gloss over it. And yet we did. Yeah, I've. I guess in 2002, I don't know. I feel like post Me Too era, we this will no longer fly. <laughs> They're no longer just like, oh, Hugh Grant, charming cat about town. Yeah, sleeps with all his employees. Mm, great. And I guess I'm like, well, better that he sleeps with the lawyers than the assistants, but it's still not good. No, it's it's not good. He is still their employer. I will say, though, aside from that, it's still a good premise. Like, it's it's a very well done film. Yes, I used to have such a... I, for some reason, I felt like I had such a strong memory of them, like, kind of becoming friends. And I hadn't realized that a lot of that happens after she's, like, officially quit. Yeah. I mean, they are obviously have established the relationship to the point where she quits, where they are extremely familiar and, like, f- like friend-like with each other. But, like... Yes, the sharing sh- food and so on. Yeah, but the stuff that happens, like, on screen, like, during the two weeks that she is, like, quitting is delightful and just, like, furthers, you know, like, deepens sort of that relationship. But it is, like, such a delightful thing because I think a lot of times our main point of contention with rom-coms is like you've just met a hot second ago like in a christmas prince when they have like known each other on false pretenses for like a week and then he proposes yes they did such a good job with that little montage of like two months later four months later four more months later or whatever They've spent a lot of time with each other, like they actually know each other as people, as evidenced in the delightful food sharing scene where they're like at a restaurant and their plates come and Hugh Grant just like starts taking off all the beets on Sandra Bullock's plate. And then she's like, you forgot a beet. And he's like, like, oh, I'm sorry. I also love that, like, while obviously it's mostly her attending to his needs, that like, first of all, I forgot he was mid-divorce, but they go to like his divorce proceedings and then like his crazy ex-wife throws water on her or something and not like on her it just happens i think she she's lunging at hugh grant (laughs) understandable by the way and then she's like ah and then he's like dabbing at her face with a handkerchief 
Yes, it's really, there are moments where he's very sweet with her. Oh, like when she gets like stupid drunk on his yacht and then he has to like, he's like, help, help. Cause she's like passed out and like slipping after she like kisses him on the yacht. And he's like, I don't know what to do. Oh, incompetent Hugh Grant. A classic for our time. Or, well, our time being the early odds. <laughs> but, again, we must state that going forward, rom-coms should not just have, like, incompetent men with extremely competent women. No, it's not okay. It's it's a bad thing. Unless you are Hugh Grant, don't play this role. Yes. I also, like, felt like there was some emotional underpinning in, like, what his deal was. Not that we feel bad for him, but when they were kind of talking about expectations and her family having very high expectations for her and his family having no expectations for him. I don't know if it was just good acting, but it was somewhat moving. Moving's probably a stretch, but you know, like, it wasn't totally emotionless to me, which is how I always feel when people are talking about this stuff in rom-coms. Yeah, I actually feel like they, instead of just being like, you know, cardboard cutouts that you're kind of projecting uh, fantasies onto, were actually felt like real characters and real people with somewhat flimsy stories, but stories nonetheless. <laughs> yeah, and then it kind of came back at the end when like he and Sandra Bullock are fighting about like the community senator situation coming back and her basically being like, look like you act like you're useless or you can't do anything. And I never believed it until now. Yeah. And I was like, oh no, burn. She's such a burn. <laughs> the one person who should believe in you. I know. Well, should she though? Gosh. It's true. He was a bit spineless about the community center. Oh, I do love at the end where he's like, I've quit. We're poor now. And she's like, oh, we're poor, huh? And he's like, yeah, I mean, like, we'll have to share a, like a helicopter with another family, maybe. <laughs> Yes. I, at the beginning, speaking of the community center thing, at the beginning, I was very sympathetic to his brother. I was like, his brother seems to be the sane one. I too would hate to meet, to rather to have to work with my brother, Hugh Grant. And then as time went on, I was like, oh no, his brother's evil. It's not good. Yeah, his brother is the money-grubbing villain of the situation. But to be fair, even as a money-grubbing villain, I might hate to have Hugh Grant as my co-worker. <laughs> and brother, Yes. I loved Sandra Bullock's parents, though. Her mom calling Hugh Grant a robber baron, her father being very proud of her for the ironclad, like, employment contract that she then was unable to escape. Yes. Every time her mother was on screen with Hugh Grant, like, was just delightful. Her mother's face when she, like, looked at Hugh Grant was amazing. Yes. The one unfortunate thing was that we saw that Sandra Bullock's family was a mouth-kissing family. <laughs> Okay, so I don't think we've, I don't know, if, I don't know if we've talked about this on the podcast. I don't think we have, but Kat and I both find it very weird that there are many families who kiss their relatives on the mouth. I think this is weird when it's not a child. And frankly, that's how you give children herpes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I believe they even did like an SNL sketch about it. About families who mouth kiss? like something like one of them i think it's bill Hader, but i could be totally remembering it wrong like he brings like someone brings home basically like their new girlfriend for the holidays and then like she oh finds out that they like just fucking kiss everyone on the mouth i'm glad that there's someone working at saturday night live who feels the way we do about mouth kissing but alex does I not feel this way because she and I her know. family will like greet each other by kissing each other on the mouth i think it's like extremely weird you're all adults I recall that she mentioned this once when we were in the car. She was like, I'm so sorry, but. And then I was like, I'm so sorry that I now know this. 
Yeah, I I just can't fathom, but I guess if you grow up like that, I'm not going to kiss our child on the mouth, so. <laughs> oh, God. I mean, when they're young, when they're very small, like, I think it's, like, totally fine and sweet. But I think when they are, when you become an adult, maybe don't kiss your parents on the mouth. I feel like you also shouldn't do it excessively or regularly to your small child, though, because then you set this precedent, and then at what point do you stop? Just so much, so much, like, unnecessary mouth kissing. I guess I hadn't thought about the spread of herpes, but you are not wrong. Yes, they say, like, most people who get oral herpes get it as a child from a relative, and you're like, how does that happen? Probably like this, guys. That's horrific. Well, (laughs) hopefully this will just stave off uh, arguments from people who do mouth kiss their relatives. Anyway... Mouth kissing aside. (laughs) Mouth kissing aside, I enjoyed her family very much. I also enjoyed that those childhood photos at the beginning of the credits are supposedly real. Yeah, it did look like them. Yeah, it did look like them. And I was like, but really? And then is it just coincidence that like Sandra Bullock protested Nixon and Hugh Grant met Nixon? And I googled and I still don't know if that was Photoshop, but I found an article from Hugh Grant basically being like, oh, yeah, like they're real. Like, um, I've been asked before about doing that for other movies and my family just had to like dig them up and he had some complaints about looking feminine as a child but he mentioned like oh we had to ask the nixon estate about the one with me and nixon and i couldn't tell because it's hugh grant whether that was a joke because the interview was in print or whether he actually met nixon as a child i thought that one at least was probably photoshopped um although maybe they would have had to ask the estate for permission to do that anyway yeah i I, probably but i was Um, just like what it reminded me of, he was brilliant in Paddington 2, which my family and I watched over the holidays. And he plays uh, the villain in it. And there's, and like, he's basically like a washed out actor. And he has like a great time with the role. But there's like, in his house, there are like these really, these like old headshots. And they're all like old Hugh Grant actual headshots of Amazing. him like looking so beautiful and handsome when he's like, like much younger. And I had a good laugh over that. Oh, now I want to watch the movie just to see that. It's a really good movie. The Paddington movies are both really good, actually. Really? Yeah, the second one is even better than the first one. That's, there's so many layers of surprise in what you just said. Yeah, the in the first one, Nicole Kidman is the villain. And in the second one, it's Hugh Grant. And oh, he, he's okay. better than she is, I think, like in the role. Um, but it does get pretty silly. I mean, you don't really need to watch the first one in order to watch the second one. You can kind of just. I, I think I can gather what happened in Patty in the movie from like Wikipedia, maybe. Yeah, but I highly recommend it. It's a delightful film and it will warm your heart. Okay. I will say about Hugh Grant, for all his many, 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 many faults, that when he gives, I like when he gives interviews, A, because he's, I feel like he was the first actor I remember as a teenager who would be like, I do not take this job seriously, (laughs) which I feel like I have more appreciation for as an adult who also kind of has a job that why would you take it seriously? But I do think that now he's becoming more of a serious actor or people are realizing that he can actually do more. Then, oh, he's great. Yeah, so that's been pretty fun to see. Um, I've actually, like, he seems to have, like, mellowed after having five kids under the age of 10 with two different women in rapid succession. He's fascinating. The thing I enjoyed in the interview where I found, like, the 
talk about the childhood photos was he was basically kind of being like, and I read scripts all the time and like romantic comedies, many are plenty romantic, but so few are actually comedies, which I feel is also a thing that we come across all the time. Yes. Of just being like, this was not funny, nor was this, nor intentionally was this. Look, when you start off a rom-com premise with heart donors, I just think you must stop. Oh no. It's not going to be comedic. You don't think there's tons of comedy in death and heart donation? Yeah, I actually don't. Oh, coming back to the film a bit. Yes. I I have this note where I was so enraged this time around by Alicia Witt, um, the the lawyer who Sandra Bullock, who like Hugh Grant wants to hire because she's beautiful. And I was like, so I like, look, I also blame Hugh Grant. It's not like I don't blame Hugh Grant. But Alicia Witt is not a child. She is a fully grown adult who comes into this job and is like just starting things with her boss. Yes, I was a bit like, oh, no. And you're like, okay, it seems like every lawyer who comes into this job wants to sleep with Hugh Grant. But I feel like Sandra Bullock was like, I will hire another Harvard graduate. She will be a professional. It will be fine. And it's not. It's not. I shouldn't have, like, blamed her necessarily because you're like, she's not in the position of power. But I was like, girl, you have barely gotten this job. I think that in our original blog post, we said something like, Alicia Witt, have the decency to wait until after you've quit, like Sandra Bullock. I was infuriated. Anyway, like, I was very upset. I was more... Oh, uh, hold on. I was more baffled because, like, they went to that ball thing near the end, that party or whatever, and I was like, she and Sandra Bullock are dressed for very different fancy parties. Alicia Witt is dressed like she's about to be in a dance number from Chicago. Oh, yeah, because it was, like, circus-themed or something, the party. Was it? Yes. It was, like, a whole, like, carnival theme thing, which is why he was wearing, like, a silly tie, and then Sandra Bullock had that red nose, because they have that exchange. Oh. So it's really Sandra Bullock who has not lived up to the theme. No, Sandra Bullock is, like, yeah, full-on Met Gala, like. (laughs) Um, sorry, what was your query? So my question is... At the end of the film, right, after she quits Hugh Grant's job and then she, like, moves back in with her parents, I was like... Was she living with her parents before? No, she had that massive apartment. Yeah. And then she, like, moves back in with her parents and I was like, I'm really confused because did she save no money during this, like, year that she worked with Hugh Grant? I assume that he paid her, like, boatloads. Like, I'm just, I'm a little bit confused. Like, what is she doing? But then I was like, I guess it would cost, it would be wasteful and frivolous to continue paying that much rent while being underemployed at legal aid. I thought she just went back to her previous life. I think I didn't understand that she moved back in with her parents. I thought she was just, like, there for the weekend or like chilling there in some capacity no she moves back in they talk about it oh so does she live i wondered by the way when she's calling the chinese restaurant does she live really close to her parents at the beginning of the film yeah i think that was my impression because she's calling the same chinese takeout place yes so surely no chinese place is delivering like miles and miles yeah also i think a really good last line of the film Uh, Oh, when Hugh Grant is walking around talking about how small the apartment is? Yes, and then she says, no, it's for two. Oh, yes, yes. I was just really enjoying when he was walking back and forth being like, I can cross this apartment in six steps. It's a very good thing your parents went to the movies. We'd never have squeezed in. I think it might be my favorite scene. What are your other favorite lines if you have other favorites? I have so many. I loved, my life is very much like Monopoly. Yes, I love that too. 
I loved when she was looking for jobs and he was trying to keep her from getting jobs. And she was like, did you even call Slurpee heaven? And he's like, they didn't want you. Heard you had an attitude. Said you weren't Slurpee material. <laughs> um, Let's see. What else? I loved when Sandra Bullock was trying to think of lawyers. And she was like, who's another non-scummy lawyer? And she's really like struggling to come up with more role models. And she's saying to Hugh Grant, like, and my parents taught me that lawyers should be treated with respect. And I was like, eh, eh, should they? I like, this isn't really a quote, but I liked that Hugh Grant was like trying to keep her and he was like, I won't call after hours. And she was like, yes, you will. And he was like, yes, I will. They had many, yeah, they had many good exchanges. My favorite one actually, well, you mentioned a bunch of them, but it, one of them was probably like, you forgot a beat. Oh, yes. And they're not seen when they're sharing food. He's being like, I wanted like Catherine Hepburn. And she was like, too good for you. And then he mentions Audrey and she's like, also too good for you. Just stay away from the Hepburns. Yes, I did love that. So you think that the ending scene might have been your favorite? Maybe. Um, I don't know. I think originally we were like, any scene where they are together, like, being coupley when they're not a couple is obviously our kryptonite. <laughs> yes. I do like the end scene. I really like the the montage. Yes. Um, I When they're, like, testing mattresses and stuff like that. I also enjoy them sharing food. It's, like, all delightful, except for Trump. Yes, I like, well, first of all, I would say I don't like that the whole thing with Sandra Bullock seems to be one of those, like, men are too intimidated by you having high standards for humanity. Yes. And it could be worse. Could be like a Philadelphia story-esque flaw. It's definitely in that family. Yeah. It's just totally what it reminded me of. And I was like, well, I guess I forgive both these movies for being old and older, you know? Yeah. But I like that there is some real stuff there in that at the end, they're talking about how like people can change. And Sandra Bullock is like, I see my dad is changing his life. Like both of them kind of being like, we want to change for each other. Like that feels very real. I would be more annoyed about her having to change since her thing is like being too good. But anyway, but I guess she changes him like much more. So it's okay. Yes. I think we talked about this in our blog entry, but I also think he does one of the, I think he always does like some of the better like rom-com confessionals at the end. Yes. Like when they are talking about like, you know, he's like, I love you. Like it's much more bearable when he delivers it than like literally any other leading man. Yes. He brings something kind of like fumbly and real to it, I think. Um, also, honestly, this movie is just decently written unlike many of the ones we watch. Yes. I don't know if this was in that confession or if it's somewhere else, but I like when he talks about her and he says, despite being unusually stubborn and unwilling to compromise and a very poor dresser. Um, And I was like, I'm glad that we can all collectively acknowledge that Sandra Bullock is wearing some terrible stuff. Yes, that's what I was like, oh, it's not just us. It's the film also realizes. Acknowledges this. Yeah. Because I was like, it's not that like us to be so fixated on someone's wardrobe. But speaking of people who were dressed terribly, I was really charmed that her best friend in the movie was her pal for Miss Congeniality. Oh, Alex pointed that out and I didn't realize, of course, but I guess I haven't seen Miss Congeniality as much as you or maybe like Alex is a better memory also for like actresses and stuff. And so I was like, oh, you're right. And then because Alex was like, you know, they're actually good friends in real life. And I was like, oh, oh, that's adorable. I wonder, I'm curious now when they met or whatever, but. I think that I didn't notice that maybe last time, like maybe we were talking or something because she only really appears at the very beginning since Sandra Bullock has to leave her wedding. Yes. But regardless, I had a thing where I was like, wait, is that? And then I like paused and went to IMDb and I was like, I can't believe I've never noticed before that it's the same actress and it's delightful. She's the April 24th is the perfect date, girl. 24th, 25th, something like that. So person of color count. I have like two. Interestingly... 
on the blog entry, we were like, there were actually many because I recall now that we also count people who don't talk, but I feel like our standards have risen. Yeah, there were like two. So (laughs) there was Hugh Grant's like chauffeur slash pal. Um, Dorian Missick, who, by the way, is quite sexist and gives bad advice. Uh, and then I was like, I remember at the time we were like, wow, a surprising amount of smaller roles who were not the help. Because I think at the beginning, what happened was this happened to me twice, last time with you and also this time by myself. I got like scared because I was like, oh no, is it only the chauffeur and this like housekeeper? Oh yeah, that's right. The housekeeper. Yes. But there's also one of the lawyers that Sandra Bullock wants to hire and, uh, and she comes in for interview and then later she's working at legal aid with Sandra Bullock. There's a couple of people like in the background. There aren't honestly that many side characters in this movie, I think. There's like an assemblyman uh, who's Latino, I think. And then um, bridal party people. Oh, and then Jason Antoon appeared and I looked up his heritage in a follow-up to Are Greeks People of Color, something we vigorously contemplated on the blog. Are Lebanese people people of color? I think so. Okay, we did conclude that Greeks, at least like assimilated Greek American people, are probably not in our current time. Yes, but I think Lebanon. Yeah, I think that is still, that's that's Middle Eastern, so. And you're like, well, maybe. Yeah. Eh, You know, it gets. Although truly, depending on where you are, people might just be like, oh, are they Jewish? Anyway, the, the, the POC count was not. Not great. So at having rewatched, because from the blog, I remember we gave it a very high rating. Yeah. What would you rate it now? I think I would probably still find it around an 8. I think we said 8.5 originally. I don't know if I had as good a time this time, but it might have been because my DVD was kind of skipping. But yeah, I think it's still pretty good. Yeah, I think for me, it's definitely still like an 8, 8.5. Yeah, I I would say 8 slash 8.5 out of 10. We already called this movie an HR nightmare, but in the era of Me Too, it's worse. Yes. (laughs) 8, 8.5 out of 10 Sandra Bullock carpet skirts. Perhaps. Coney Island Community Centers. Yep. Non-scummy lawyers. I don't know if you're going to get that many. Yeah, a good time. Wait, one last question. When Sandra Bullock is going off on Hugh Grant right before she finally quits, she's basically being like, just like you weren't dead when you called me at 3 a.m. because you had a nightmare about becoming the fifth member of KISS, just like you weren't dead when you barged in on my woman's doctor's appointment to ask me which picture to put on the cover of People. Were we not allowed to say gynecologist in 2002? I have no idea. Surely you were able to say the word gynecologist. It doesn't seem like activist feminist Sandra Bullock would say woman's doctor appointments. True. I, I don't know. Yeah, that was a weird line. Who knows? Anyway, Sandra Bullock and Hugh Grant were charming, and I'm glad that we got to watch something that wasn't awful or made by Netflix. Yes, and wait until next time we're doing a Hugh Grant double feature. Um, But anyway, thanks for listening. Um, Please follow us on all our social media. We will talk to you next time. Thank you to Hannah Oatman, who composed our theme music, and Alexandra Oatman, who painted our logo art. You can follow Alexandra on Twitter at, at Alexandra. Special thanks to Quincy Surasmith for advising us on the art of the podcast. Subscribe to his wonderful podcast, Asian Americana, at wherever you get your podcasts. Want more Romcomathon? You can read past reviews at romcomathon2016.tumblr.com and follow us at romcomathon2016 on Facebook and Twitter and romcomathon on Instagram. We look forward to hearing from you. Please subscribe and rate Romcomathon on iTunes. Thank you.